Let's go. All right. Okie dokie. Welcome, everybody. It's episode 58 of Hot Take from the Kitchen. We are back for another week. And this week, we have Preston Donikowski back, former guest from last year. So, welcome, Preston. Thank you. I'm so glad to be back. Yes, I'm sure you are, because I know you're happy about one of the topics we're going to talk about. And Steve's playing on his phone. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Hot Take from the Kitchen. And our email address is hottakefromthekitchen at gmail.com. It is H-O-T-T-A-K-E-F-R-O-M-T-H-E-K-I-T-C-H-E-N at gmail.com. And we have two emails, one through our regular email, one through Facebook. And one through Hotmail address is from Karen Kahusky once again. It's an update on the book sale at the library. And she says, hi, guys. Thanks for continuing to put out some great podcasts. I was wondering if you would be willing to share the details about the upcoming Friends of the Library used book sale with your listeners. Thank you. Sale begins with the members pre-sale on Wednesday, August 14th from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And if people aren't members but want the best selection, they can become members at the sale that evening. And the sale continues and is open to the public on Thursday from 9.30 a.m. to 8 p.m., Friday from 9.30 to 5, and concludes Saturday with the $5 bag day from 9.30 to 12. And the sale is located at the Alpena County Public Library, and items for sale include books, audiobooks, CDs, DVDs, puzzles, and games. Also, if anyone would like to donate items to the sale, we are still accepting donations at the library during normal business hours throughout the sale. Thanks again, and have a good week. Thank you for the email, Karen. That was kind of a last week email. Well, it was sent after, but yeah. 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 And we do have an email slash message through the hot take page. And this one is from Zane, who has become quite the listener and a future guest in the next couple of weeks. And screw you. Just want to see the message. All right. And he said, Hey, I listened to your episode with the top five surprising things about Alpina, which was a great episode. And I wanted to throw in one for you the amount of car shows that we have here. You can practically wander into one without even knowing it sometimes. Anyways, thanks for a good show. Can't wait to talk to you guys in person soon. Well, thank you, Zane. We can't wait to talk to you, too. Those are the messages. We had an active mailbag. We did. It makes me happy. <clears throat> I'm glad. I always like to hear feedback. Feedback is a gift. It is. Um, so I guess we really don't need to do any type of introduction to Preston since he is with a... Um, I introduced him already. But I'm in like a little brief background. Yeah. Um, they want that. They can go listen to the previous. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to do that. So let's do this. Why don't you do trivia, and then we'll do hot takes, and we'll go right on through. All right. Our Alpine signature at Great Lakes trivia. Yes. CVB Great Lakes <laughs> Sanctuary, whatever has a long title. But anyway, last week's question was approximately how many shipwrecks lie in the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary underwater preserve. Guess Preston. Um, I'm gonna go in the gonna go in the fifties. A little low. A little low. A little low. 
Steve, got another ant? I mean, I haven't looked, but I mean, last time I left, I was in the three digits, right? Yes. And you said I was finally cooking with some gasoline. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'll choose a random number, 143. Still low. Isn't that amazing? Wow. It really is. It is nearly 200, according to the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary. And I believe they're still discovering some oh, as yeah. they map it out and found different areas. And It's crazy. Yeah. All right. And this week's question, I'm just going down the list, is how many lighthouses are located within 50 miles of LPR? One, two, three. That's a tough one. Four, five, six. 50 miles. So what did that then throw in Tawas? That's, yeah, that's a lot of shoreline. No. Okay. Tawas is more than 50 miles. Because it's 45 to ask. Uh, six is my answer. Close. Close. Is it seven? Yes. Huh. So I could name them. So we'll, we'll work our way to north. <laughs> we'll start south and work our way to north. So Sturgeon Point. Yep. So it'll be the southernmost. And then there'll be Middle Island and Thunder Bay Island. Yep. Then Little Red. Yep. Then we go, oh, I forgot the old old light. Preskill new, Preskill old, and then 40 mile. Yes. Uh, I just forgot Preskill too. <clears throat> you photographed all of them yet? Yes. Well, uh, so that's an interesting story. So um, I was supposed to have the, the two ones that I don't have, which are the island ones, a little bit more difficult to get it to um, this summer. And we had it all lined up. I mean, we've been working on this for a while, but the water level is mm. so high that all the normal lack of better term, docking stations are all submerged. It's just an absolute disaster out there, I guess. So they're saying now is not a good time, and maybe in the fall. I mean, yeah, the water, I mean, just walking by the, uh, down by the docks there at night, I mean, the water is up over the docks, onto the sidewalk. Yeah. I know a brown trout, almost every night, the small tent around midnight will get flooded out. You know, ducks in the parking lot, you know, way up from the boat launch. It was, it's, it's wild. It's, I've never seen anything like it. I really wanted to press a button to Preston's, but I held back. <laughs> Ooh, I just knew right what to do. I just knew right what to press, right where and exactly. I held back. We might do it later. So, <laughs> how far out are the islands? There, there. I know they're not. Well, the one I think it's Middle Island. You can go out past Elkajan. You know what I'm talking about? Past the cement quarry, you get out to the tip of Alpena, and it's not very far. I mean, I don't. I couldn't swim it, but you probably could kayak to it. Well, that's what I was thinking. You could take a kayak. Though. Yeah, but um, the one I think it's Thunder Bay Island. That one, which is the nicer of the two, I believe. That one's a little bit off. So I remember going by it when we were on Eric's cruise for his 40th birthday. That was quite a ways away. Yeah. Yeah, the water back behind, or the water between the mainland and those islands is also super clear because you don't have a lot of that wave action kicking up the sand and silt and things like that. So yeah. it's a good diving spot. One of the uh, the main uh, NOAA sanctuary, like their profile picture with the big propeller, that's right off, I think it's right off Middle Island. Hmm. Um, I think that's where that spot is at. But It is crazy. I mean, I know uh, Paula Breck does like day journeys, and I've always kind of wanted to do that, but... It's not so much of the money because I think it's well worth it. It's just the time, like getting up on a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning and 
never want to do it one because Northern Michigan weather is just so like yep. such a crapshoot. And just like you said, all it takes is you pay it, and not only man, today's not the day to be doing it. And kind of how my luck always tip works out. It kind of just gotta find a friend of the boat. Yeah, I remember uh, two. Two or three years ago, uh, Casey Stetsman at Performance Soccer did, but he might still do the sup and snorkel events. Mm-hmm. So he paddleboarded out the wreck was, I mean, just, you know, 40, 50 feet offshore from back behind Lafarge there. And, you know, really clear water, the wreck 12 feet underwater. Uh, you put in out by, um, out south of the town, right before it turns into a gravel road by uh, the Lafarge the party center that's back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was fun. That was a lot of fun. That's just a quick, you know, 20-minute paddle out. You, know, you hook up, throw your flag up on the buoy, dive, snorkel, paddle back in. That was a lot of fun. Those, those are fun events. And it just makes you think, you know, there's nowhere else that you can really do that, where you can just decide, yeah, let's go dive a shipwreck this morning. Like that's, that's, that's such an Alpina thing. It really is. And I don't, was it, the, were we camping? Were you with us when we were talking about what Alpina is known for? Were you with me? I was talking with someone just recently. And they're like, what are you kind of, what is Alpina known for? And I said, I got, I got to be honest with you. The two people. It could have been. I don't, I don't remember what it was. But I said, I think it's shipwrecks right now. I really think that's what we've branded ourselves as. And we have a whole um, marine sanctuary. We have NOAA here. And that's kind of all loosely based upon that. So um, and they were like, oh, okay. You know, so I just thought it was kind of crazy. We, you know, um, when we had Mary Beth on last year, she talked about the Alpena rebranding process and some of the things that we've gone through. And um, it's just not as someone that's lived here majority of my life to see it's kind of cool. So I had a guy from home Depot come up and measure my windows and he, I guess he was staying the day or the night or whatever. And he said, I didn't know you guys had a NOLA building up here. Okay. It's done a lot of things for the community and got a glass bottom boat and take out and look at shipwrecks. What was the, I mean, what was the brand for Alpina like 15, 20 years ago? Um, so we were called the Sunrise Side, right? It was a warm and friendly port. I really think more than anything else is we were a retired community. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, you hear the term, uh, I remember Branson used to be thrown around a lot. And, then, and if you know about Branson, it's, you know, really catered to senior citizens. And it was, and I think we were maybe talked about doing that. Um there is a great quality of life for people that are retired here in our area. I don't think you can dispute that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, actually. I think it's one of our strengths, and I think we should continue to embrace it. At the same time, um, if you talk to any retired person, they don't want a town to see a town full of retired people either. They, they, they like having youth around, and it keeps them young and um, at, you know active programs to help we have a friend that does that, you know, things that do that. Um, they're all about that. I've yet to very, I mean, there was a, there is that negative connotation of old people, you know, turn your music down and get off my lawn and all that. And to say that some of them aren't like that, obviously would be true. It would be false, but I think there's more of the other way than there is that way. So. And we talked about last pod too, uh, just like the, the youth, not necessarily you know youth movement, but the people that are you know my age that are getting out and doing a lot more. You know, we see so many more festivals taking place in the summer, even if it's just you know day things like the chili cook off a couple of years ago that mm-hmm. started. 
um, the Petersons with the tap takeover downtown and things like that. Just the, the mural event, things like that. You don't, that I definitely don't remember seeing when I was younger, sort of every weekend. Now there's something happening, you know, whether it's a car show or an awesome mural happening, or just, you know, someone, you know, the downtown shopping, things like that. There's a lot more happening, you know, Pina now. And I think it's just going to keep going that way. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I don't know. I, some of the stuff I think happened, obviously the, the art scene is something that is relatively new to Alpina. So I'm not going to act like, but I mean, if you think about it, the Thunder Bay Arts Council is one of the oldest arts associations in the state of Michigan. Um, the Besser Museum, which used to be the Jesse Besser Museum, has been around for a long time, well before Noah. So to act like Alpina wasn't, it was totally ignorant to their mm-hmm. arts, it's kind of a, not necessarily true, but at the same time, you make a great point. And I think, um, I think what we're seeing now more is I think the community is seeing the value of that stuff more that it goes just beyond, well, this is pretty or, you know, well, this person's an artist and it's a way for them to show off their work, which I think are all important things. But, um, you know, the DDA, for example, you know, the DDA dollars are created by there's an established property value. Then there's the tax on that. And then whatever the real value is. And then that difference is how they kind of make their money. So as downtown becomes more valuable, DDA gets more dollars. So it makes 100% sense for the DDA to do whatever they can to make downtown more vibrant to you know get more people to come down there make the product be more valid because it just one hand washes the other in that situation so right now the big topic is uh parking meters what do you guys think about that well i mean i i hate the idea of spending money but at the same time i think parking meters are a step in the right direction or pretend like not doing anything this paralysis by analysis thing we have going on is not the solution answer whatsoever so i'm for it if anything if anything it just makes people move their cars like because right now what you have is we don't have enough parking that's a very fair assessment and what's going on is people are either a just paying the parking ticket which is again another they have every right to do that but I just feel like there's got to be a better solution. Some of it is just pure laziness going on, and I think that kind of disappoints me on some level. I think there is – like I remember when I worked at Neiman's, right? Did you ever work at Neiman's? No. Nope, okay. I, mean. I worked at Neiman's at one point, and for the longest time, you had a park way in the back, like around the corner back by McDonald's. And you gotta hike your ass all the way from back there around. And the whole point of that was is because Hal wanted his parking spots up front for his customers. I think that's a loss on a lot of the downtown people or that work there. You know, they all want their parking spots. I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not calling anyone out, but you can walk downtown. If you go downtown as much as I go downtown and as Brad and as you do, you know the cars of the owners because you walk by their shop and you see that car every single day now i appreciate that they it's their business they own it they maybe that's some perk that they earn at the same time though i guess i just view it differently yeah you know yeah. i i love the facebook comments of any news article that they pay to parking it's like oh they're gonna lose my business downtown. like really you're that inconvenienced where you don't want to pay i don't know what the prices they're talking about are but even if it's 
you know, Grand Rapids, for example, it's like three bucks for two and a half hours. The grill, you're going to avoid downtown entirely over $3. Yeah. That blows my mind. I can't, I don't get it. Or there's still going to be a free public parking. It's just going to be where, my understanding, it's just going to be where it's at, which isn't that far. You know, the parking lot behind Alpena Agency, the parking lot behind the seller or in between the seller and the Holiday Inn Express. It baffles my mind that people have a problem walking in that. Or the one behind City Hall. Like, I just. Yep. And who knows? Maybe you'll park and you'll notice a shop that you just never happen to notice on your walk or something like that. Or a cool view. Just the, the value in walking a few extra hundred feet. I just, I don't know. Part of our town's problem is, is the majority of the people that have a beef with this really have never lived or hung out extensively in another city where, like, Brad has lived in Ann Arbor for a time, you've been in Grand Rapids. Man, or let's just go to a Tiger game. Man, if you want to park at a Tiger game, <laughs> you're not parking in front of Comerica Park without paying $50. I mean, you can. You're more than welcome entitled to park there, but it's going to cost you. And I just, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't. It's one of the things that have always, it's just always perplexed me. I, I love the idea of a multi-use building. I think it would be good for our town. Um, selfish by nature, I don't want it to be an eyesore. So I don't know if you, could, I don't know if you could go four stories or not. But the idea of I've heard like a two-story structure being tossed around, like in that art and loft parking lot, I'm going to call it that. I don't think that's enough, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't think if you just double those parking spaces, it's just not enough in my opinion. So I don't know if you go up three floors. I don't think it would look that bad there. But, man, it's open there, and there's the river. and <clears throat> Well, again, we talked about last time on the pod, like, even if you use three stories, bottom story is uh, storefront. Mm -hmm. I think that would be great. You know, maybe uh, I know the old Opina Power Building, they're trying – they've been – Harping out for years, they want mixed use. They want stores, they want apartments, and they want parking. All yeah. there. I think if you can get two of those three, um, you're you're going in the right direction. I think it might be best for that structure just to be floors one and two parking, floors three and four apartments, and then you just let it be. I know the main problem that's been held back on that is that Alpina is. Again, spoiled. So the idea of spending two thousand dollars a month for a downtown apartment is just like what? Like, you know, like you gotta be kidding me. Two thousand dollars a month, but at the same time, it's like, well, it's not going to be just you know like a garbage apartment. It's gonna be nice. So um, I, the, the whole thing just always fascinates me. So. That being at WBKB again this summer, um, the new reporters that come in, the first thing they ask, "Where's there to stay?" There's no apartments online. We had. A new reporter come in three weeks ago, and there was one apartment available on any website. There was one apartment. I got a room available. Perfect. There <laughs> we go. There we go. Our next one will send over here. Yeah. I that we could do it. Oh, wait, we got ten minutes. We could do a whole segment of your room, and what we could do. I, I you know, I think there's got to be something that's not being done right here. I don't know what it is exactly. I don't think it's a cost issue that some people say, like, well, it seems a little expensive. I don't think for what you're offering and what you bring, I don't think it's auto oh, right. Um it's Free laundry, free utilities. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's just interesting to me. I find the whole thing just fascinating. So, um, let's do hot takes, both of them really quick. There's not a lot in the world going on right now. 
<laughs> no, there isn't. I mean, I tell him four. But... Let's do it. I'll tell you the. Well, I figured the main one is Epstein, right? Yeah. That's the only the elephant in the room, and I know we're not very politicky. So let's go around the table. Was he, did he commit suicide? Yes, I haven't no. heard the whole story. But <laughs> I'm sure there was some foul play going on like to make it look like. Yeah. Preston, do you believe he was murdered? Uh, I think he committed suicide, whether or not he was pressured into that because they found him unconscious before in the room yeah so the whole idea of it's supposed to be checked on every half an hour when you're on suicide watch no one had checked on him overnight yeah. something's, seven hours something's wrong yeah something's wrong you know it's simply it's pretty easy to say i'm not saying this happened but i don't doubt that he probably killed himself but you don't know what was leveraged to him like your family i mean the guys got family on the outside so you just simply don't know what you know it's a crazy world. It's the most house, house of cards thing ever. <laughs> like real-time house of cards being played out in front of us. It's, yeah. I've never seen the show. So. Oh. But, like, yeah. A very dark West Wing. It's kind of house of cards. I've never seen West Wing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's that's your guys' time. That's well, what we is. need to do is hope that Paige Mendock isn't listening to this. I don't care. Oh, my gosh. It's like your one of our favorite shows. West Wing, I'm so interested in watching. Really, West Wing is by far one of my favorite series. Yeah, yeah. we used to watch it on AP Cup. Yeah, Sorka, um, of course, they did the newsroom too, yep. though. Amazing, so, yep. my absolute favorite. Yeah, so I, I wonder why, right? <laughs> so, um, but what else you got for hot takes? Uh, well, sort of another politicking one, but the Trump administration weakened protections on endangered species. So they, I tried to read it, but I was getting confused. But I guess they're going to make, they're going to look at the budgets to see how much it costs each year to protect certain animals. And if they want to cut the budget and weaken protections. And I mean, I get it. It was kind of like what Donald Trump did with the Great Lakes funding when he first got in office, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, he slashed! He doesn't care about the Great Lakes." And he looks at it, and you're like, "Well, you're spending ninety billion dollars to protect the Great Lakes. Where, where is this ninety billion dollars going?" And really, then of course, you know, he starts pulling all the levers to turn on the things that are critical to the survival of the Great Lakes. But then you start wondering. I mean, you, we all know there's when you look at something where there's like just this massive amount of money going in, there are some people that are getting paid that, you know, shouldn't be getting paid. I think it's a lot like the Great Lakes funding, too, where it's an idea that they want to cut this budget, but when it actually gets to it, there's no way that they'd actually be able to pass those cuts. Yeah. Like it's, it's their ideal budget, they'd slash the hell out of it. Oh. Actuality. Won't fly. There's already two state attorney generals and some yep. protection groups that are going to sue. So That's amazing to me. I love that a state attorney general is ready to sue the United States government because, let's just say the seagull. Let's say Donald Trump's not going to protect the seagull anymore. That fascinates me. I love that. I love it. I love everything about it. State tax dollars, federal tax dollars at its finest. <laughs> all over a dumpster diving bird. Not to say that it doesn't pay a part it's in the ecosystem. Yeah, but I'm just, yeah. God, that drives me up the wall. Everything I can't stand about a government, one little thing right there. <laughs> not that it's your fault. I'm not. I'm just saying, like, I get it. Like, I do. 
Want me to tell you my funny joke of it? We're doing it. My funny joke? Where is Nestle right fucking now? We got all this water overflowing our legs. Why aren't they pumping the shit out of the water right now? <laughs> I told my mom. All the shit that they get for about taking our water. Right now, we can use some of that water taken out of I said that to my mom <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Nestle needs to come pump some water. Yeah. Right? You have so one job, Nestle. Yeah. You got one job. We can start cranking well, it. People complaining that we're selling water to China. And now we need to sell water yeah. to China. Now we got our water overflowing our docks. Preston can't do the brown trout vessel. Yeah. Start pumping, Nestle. Start doing something for us. Anyways. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Simone Biles won her six United States gymnastics title. Did you see the 360 slow motion? First time ever. Yeah. It's been landed. 8,000 frames. 8,000 frames per second thing. It was, on, it was on Twitter. I don't know if it was on Facebook or not. I, they showed it on uh, Parnita Rush. Oh, unbelievable. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. There was a great tweet. Uh, ben Shapiro actually retweeted like the video of Simone Biles doing it and whatnot. And someone replied to him, like, I wish we would elevate her to role model status instead of just simply celebrity. Because she had some awesome responses to the Larry Nassar stuff right after. She was essentially trashing USA Gymnastics, probably handled the entire Na- Nassar thing right after they handed her yeah. gold medal. Um, I think there's there's a fine line between athlete being a cool celebrity and an athlete being like a true role model like that, like speak your mind, get your word out there. And I think he's one of them. And I don't think what I think the key is when an athlete does that is it has to be genuine. Like it has to be in them. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, two really super famous athletes where African-Americans really wanted them to really force that platform that they had the ability to use it maybe for more for some certain causes and they just never did it and while I can understand the disappointment that might come from something like that at the same time if it's not in that person they're not necessarily comfortable doing it whereas like someone Biles a great example you're 100% right she said some really you could tell it matters. You could tell, and she's educated on it. Because why is she? Because it matters to her. So she's taking the time to make sure she knows the issues. She can speak on it. And I think if you ask Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods at the time what they thought of um, legal gambling, legal gambling, legalized gambling, or uh, you know, genocide, and you know what was going on in Africa, I think, like I mean, I just think they shrugged their shoulders. They just wasn't in them. So I mean. Got any more? One more. I like it. They lost a little split from Tommy Boy after 30 years because of their back catalog. This is kind of a new thing. Taylor Swift kind of has gone mm-hmm. through this, right? 30 years of being with the same yeah. company. So did you hear the way around that? Like how they suggest Taylor Swift being around it? So you sign that new label, then you re-record all your songs as remastered. And then you just tell everyone, let's listen to this one. Do not pay attention to that one. How do you feel about that, Brad? Cheeky. I find it. Yeah, I think it's kind of the music industry overall. Talk about, I think. Q-Tip says, people are shooting. Yeah. Well, I don't think, I mean, anytime you're in a situation where there's somebody that's able to maximize or leverage someone else that has lesser means you're going to see that in those situations you know whether it's music sports is a great example we see it with ncaa uh asia thing just got lifted that was mm-hmm. the only thing i had today was the ncaa lifted the, the i don't want to say ban 
as the Rich Paul rule. Yeah, the so Rich they, Paul rule. So they would have enforced, uh, they would have forced all NBA agents, you're only allowed to represent an NCAA player if you had a four-year degree, yeah. which is kind of a way to get around Rich Paul who didn't have a four-year degree. Yeah. And had a great quote, like you think a bachelor's degree is what separates like a businessman from a con artist. Well, what's, five yeah, what's even crazy, what's even more crazy to me is that you, these kids that go to college for two or three years, or mm-hmm. one to two, let's just be honest, and then they have the ability to meet someone that they see smart, they trust, and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, would you mind representing me? And it's an opportunity, you know, it's advantageous for both parties. We're going to be fast, we're going to to go. And to be able to say, hey, you know what, you can't do that because – it just it was so shady, the whole thing. I'll let you know how corrupt the NCAA really is. But all right. We'll wrap this up and we'll come back. We got lots to talk about tonight. We got Preston back in the kitchen. So um I think I wanna start yeah, that's where I want to start. So what have you been doing all summer? Uh, a lot of work. Yeah. Grad school coming up. I start teaching again Monday uh, down East County in Grand Rapids. I toured school this past weekend. It's amazing. Everything there is so brand new. Uh, it's one of the most diverse schools in the entire country. Over 90 nationalities represented. Um, and I knew I knew their budget was healthy when they said, we don't have a budget on printing. Like There's no print limit. That's when you know that school is doing very, very well. East Kentwood, I've been to twice. For track meets and stuff like that for my kids, it is impressive. Yep. Nonetheless, I'm with, it, the, uh, I'm with the basketball coach there, um, so I'm really, I'm really, really excited. Yeah, um, really, just wow. Um, it makes you just question everything you know living in Alpena about high schools when you get somewhere like that, and you just don't understand it. I mean, I understand it now, but I, you don't understand how Alpena school system can be so poor and so big. Mm-hmm. And yet, East Kentwood school district's like 50 square miles, and it's just, it's like just one of the top high schools in the, in, the, in the nation. One of the cool things the teacher was telling me about is that they get basically every grant they apply for because there's some student, there's some student demographic represented. So if they apply for a grant that say, you know, a, a Jamaican educational improvement grant. Well, they have Jamaican students there. They can get that grant where something like that is not available to Northeast Michigan schools, really. I feel like my job could be essentially writing grants for people. Like you just tell me like what you want the grant for and I'll tell you what's out there. And then if it's a hundred thousand dollars, it may sounds terrible, but let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars. I'll just take ten percent, and then I will just get all these grants for everybody because it's amazing how much grants are out there. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact, and Brad, I told Brad to do it. The community foundation wants to give money away, like they just want to give money away, and they're just lacking like true good causes that's written well, that's done properly. And the minute they do it, here's the they want to do it, but people are just not good at it. Mm-hmm. Same as scholarships. Scholarships are out there. There's yeah. so so many every year. ACC just there's just no one that applies to them. So well, let's roll it over. So I think the last time we talked, you told me that I wouldn't see your pretty face on the air anymore. 
Yeah, I thought I was. I thought I was done in Grand Rapids because I've been doing TV the last two years in Grand Rapids at WGDU down there, which mm-hmm. is like the PBS station for all of Southwest Michigan. I thought I was done, and then this summer came around. And I was like, you know what? I need some money. So it's called <laughs> it's called WBKB, mm-hmm. and they were like, yeah, sure, we'll bring we'll bring you back. So I just kind of been doing the eleven o'clock show, kind of you know training as much as they're they're willing to be trained, shall mm-hmm. we say, and um, just trying to trying to help them elevate. So yeah, you are so polished. I mean, you can tell you've been doing it for a while, you know, versus someone that's maybe coming out paying for their first time and then just finding their feet. Um, still like you got the Letterman lean. It shows up once in a while. I'm loving that. It's always been one of my favorite uh, things that you do. So um, what else have you been up to this summer? So you're, you're in your final stages of teaching? Yep. So I start student teaching. Uh, like I said, Monday, I have a full year of student teaching for my program. Uh, with some online classes. So when that's done, I'll be halfway towards my master's degree. I get six years to finish that. So come April, I'm, I'm essentially done with school, and then it's, you know, hopefully a job lined up uh, before I'm finished student teaching so I can have that sort of to come back to. So <clears throat> I read a disturbing stat. Um, I think it's in Kentucky or in Indiana. It was one. I think it was Kentucky. <clears throat> Kentucky, where they don't have many teachers. And they're saying that, like, within the next 10 years, Michigan is going to be the absolute same way. Like, they're just not going to have teachers for their kids. Because a few, yeah, a few years ago, the thing was, don't be a teacher. Everyone's a teacher. Uh And now, all of a sudden, that's really catching up to us. At the Board of Education meetings in Alpena, they always talk about, we went to a job fair, and there were more uh, school districts there looking for teachers to come up to their booth than there were teachers at the actual event. So it's the complete opposite. I think it's... I think it's kind of an ebb and flow, but but right now there's a lot of um, I don't want to say lack of respect, but a lack of value placed on teachers. A lot of people think, well, you get summers off, you get holidays off. Well, you know, we don't necessarily get paid during the summer. We're deferring our salary yeah. so that it spreads across the summer, so that we can live. And it's just it's it's a mess, and it's a it's a much harder profession than I envisioned when I first got into the program. I sort of thought, yeah, I can do this teaching thing. But once you start getting into it and you start looking at the, you know, uh, teaching diverse kids and then teaching about a lot of the, the dark and dirty stuff that's happened in history, it's a lot of, um, you realize that the relationships that have to be built to facilitate learning. And just in today's world, the, the way it is, things happen so fast and, um, everything is so much more accessible and that of course that means the bad stuff's more accessible too so I think um, it's, it's tough um, what was I going to say I just had that and you brought that up and I was like man that's a really good point but um, do you think you want to stay here and teach in Alpena um, I would like to come back to Alpena I know uh, it's hard to leave Grand Rapids though mm-hmm. Like I love Alpena but just going back to Grand Rapids for this weekend and having lived there for essentially the last seven years, it's it's a tough city to live. Just a city that's just constant growing, constant investment, it's constant construction, something new going up, something new opening. It's really hard to leave that. But I would like to finish my master's as quickly as possible because I have six years to do that. I'd love to move to the, the university level. I think ACC would be a, a great great place to come back to. I think, oh, then I remember what I was going to say is, I think part of the problem with, teachers the stigma for lack of a better term is that 
some teachers don't help it. Like they'll literally, like I'm friends with some teachers on Facebook and they'll be like, Oh man, I only got five more days until I have the summer off or whatever, you know? So like they're certainly not helping the stereotype by perpetuating certain things. I think that's one part of it to say that it's not earned though, because the way the system's set up, I mean, that's just the way it is. And it's definitely, I mean, it's definitely a great perk. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that it's, you know, the summer is just like a part of the job. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's definitely a huge perk, but the, the sort of thing that gets sent around, like, Oh, teachers get paid for doing nothing in the summer. No, that's money I earned during the year that I'd just like to have spread out. So I have like a, a bit of a paycheck coming in. I find it interesting. My, sister lives in North Carolina. They have year round school, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I understand why probably even more so now with the way, um, Michigan agriculture is becoming such a force within our nation really. Uh, um, so I can, I guess I can see the value of still wanting the summer off, but you know, for them, when you say Michigan still has the summers off, they just scratch their heads. They can't understand why would you, still even think about doing something like that. And there's some, I mean, there's districts downstate. I mean, even uh, Tate Skiba down in West Branch who just got a job at AHS. We were getting there. Yep, he's coming back. But um, there's school districts that have year-round school and the fall-off between, you know, their summer breaks versus the traditional three-month summer break is almost non-existent. Whereas here, you lose, as a student, you lose a lot, whether it be, you know, reading level or math comprehension or historical comprehension. You lose a lot of that over the course of three months just not doing school. So I think that's a big benefit of year-round school. But again, you sort of have to, the pros and cons, of it's a very agricultural community here, obviously. Um, so you kind of have to think about the home life in it too. But I, I certainly see the the... I think overwhelming benefit of year-round school compared to the three months off. Yeah. Um, so you brought it up, so I'll take, I've been very vocal on this pot of dogging takes give up Fellini Alpina. <laughs> I will be the first one to eat the craw. And I heard I wanted to confirm with you that he has come back. Yep. Is official. Yep. All right. Well then I will not be as mean to him right after <clears throat> right after he got the license change he texted me he's like well boys i'm a, I'm a saint helen resident right now I'm like i'm gonna delete your number and he just really but yeah he's, he's back now he's i mean obviously excited to be a part of the alpina family again and, and he's really looking forward to it tate is like <clears throat> that i mean he's a young teacher that cared about the community understands the community and wanted to come back he's the he's those type of teachers that you know i have no idea how he is as a teacher but he's the type of person that you want to have come back because he just wants to be here versus so many times i remember there are teachers where like well i guess i have more else to go so if they'll have me or whatever you know and he sees the value of being here and understands their community so um yeah i've always liked kate so yep yeah, that's a that's it's a great hire by Alpina. And I know he's really looking forward to it. I know he's got some awesome ideas and you know, we text back and forth a lot. There's you know awesome history teacher Reddits out there. There's just loads of ideas and things like that. So he's excited. I know students are gonna be very lucky if they have him. Hey, you wanna fix the education system right now? Let's bring it. Okay. So it. like I always I said to Brad we had a pot of back. There was two things that you could have asked, like if I ran for president, what would my platforms be? And I always said my first platform would be I'd fix Medicare. So I'd fix I'd fix healthcare for people from 60 on. 
I never really got fully into my plan, but um, but so much of like what we see going on, especially with our older population and like bankruptcy and choosing food over drugs and medication and then we're living longer, all these things. I think a lot of those things are fixed by taking care of that. The next thing though is education. And I think our system's really broke. Um, you know, it seems like we, at least in the state of Michigan, we have what, we've raised gas tax, we've raised road tax, and we've done a lotto tax, and we've done all these things to put more money into our schools, and yet... Weed now. Yeah, and now weed, and yet it still seems like we have a school, we have schools that are outdated, um, that are falling apart. Let's do it, let's fix it. So what, I mean, what do you think... So talk to me about your education policy. What do you think that we should emphasize learning on in schools? And I'll try to plug in as a... Well, how do you feel about the no child left behind? I think it's garbage. Yeah. I think the principles, the the idea of like, hey, we want to make sure everyone... But I think what's happening is it's always the law of unintended consequences, right? So now if we're going to pay these schools and measure these schools by these standards of which they're going to... Obviously, that's what they're going to, you know, make sure the kids meet on. Yeah, so. and I think the the idea of no child left behind, there's a lot of, well, the students will help the students. Um, and I think that was one of my biggest things in high school. I was not a very good high school student grade-wise. Like, I mean, I was. I think I graduated at two, two five GPA or something like that. Um, I mean, not ideal, not terrible, but I was just so frustrated because I would sit in class and I was like, I know these things. Why? I know these things. I can ace this test. I can do this work, but it's so beneath me. Like, why am I learning stuff that I know that I've learned last year or the year before, just because a handful of kids in the room are struggling to comprehend it. Not that that's, you know, that's not a reflection of the teacher, not a reflection of the student. But I think that if you separate those students, then you're going to have set them up to succeed far more than you would by, hoping that students like myself or like Tate Skiba feel that initiative to help the other students. And I get that, you know, you're trying to take a little bit of a burden off the teacher, but I think just separate tracks. I think that that's mm-hmm. the way to go. I don't think that the necessarily mixing the students that are excelling with the students that could use a little extra time is, is ideal. Yeah. When I never knew that existed, what you're talking about until my mom moved me, so in the fourth grade, my mom decided, let's move to Florida. So I went down to Florida, and I get down there, and they're like, we should test you and see where you're at. So they tested me, and it was fourth grade, and they're like, oh, wow, you're at, you're a sixth grader down here. Now I was kind of like, that's great, but like I kind of want to be fourth grade. So they what they ended up sending me was I would spend half my day in sixth grade, half my day in fourth grade. Whatever. So that I didn't realize. I mean, like, you don't know it until you get it somewhere else. And it's just like, wow, this is the world. So then when I came back to Michigan, you know, I met in the fourth grade. So now I'm supposed to be in fifth grade. Well, Michigan's like, well, you've had a whole, almost a whole year of sixth grade. You should be in sixth grade, at least, if not in seventh grade. Well, I came back and all my friends I grew up with were in fifth grade. So obviously, you knew what I was doing. I was going to be in fifth grade. But it is crazy to see when you give someone, like, I just was really good at math and whatever you wanted. And as long as you wanted to push me, I mean, that's a stereotype, right? But like, I just like, much as they kept giving me, I just kept hammering it out. You know, I just kept going and going and going. And they just, and instead of saying, okay, well, that's it. 
you know, we're done, you're done. They just kept giving it to me. And, you know, before, you know, and it's just, it's crazy to see your point in that situation where, like, um, I never had that in, in, in a Michigan school where they just kept saying, hey, you should just keep going with it. I mean, we had AP English and, mm-hmm. you know, I, was, I remember I think I took um, advanced or pre-calc my senior year. I drove over to college. So I know that stuff happens, but it's just crazy. And now they have that ACT program. Yep. Right. Early college. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. The early college program. Yep. Yeah. Which I think is really a fascinating program in itself. So I think another thing that Alpina does really good is there was sort of like a pendulum of career training. And then we got the big STEM push. And I think the pendulum really swung towards STEM. Like let's get kids prepped for college. And now I think you see that sort of swinging back and finding a great balance of the thing that at least Alpina does not familiar with other places, but they have a really good career in tech program, whether that be, you know, welding or auto shop or, you know, robotics and things like that. Things that where you can graduate with a certificate to do this and you can get a welding job right out of high school, 40 bucks an hour. That's great. And I think some things that we noticed downstate that schools are being to do is that they would do signing days for students going to trade schools, which I thought was awesome because I mean, those are, those are really tough jobs that I think are equally as, or should be celebrated as equally as we're celebrating students with athletic scholarships. I I think you bring up a great point. I think one thing I, one thing I would like to see within the, the overall education system is that, is that we, I think our priorities sometimes really get screwed up. And I don't know what it is in that, but um, I, I, admittedly, I don't go to school enough to, know, to comment on this fully. But I know, like, for each of my kids that when they went to state, I would impose and all the kids lined the halls. And, you know, they got to high-five all the little kindergartners and the first graders all the way on up, and they send them off on the way they go. And you can't help but wonder, like, I think that's really of a value to see that for the little kids to see, hey, some hard work, this person's gone to state, maybe someday I can have that because it gives them something to work toward. But it doesn't need to just be going to states. It can be, you know, going to college. It can be going – I think, like I said, reinforce those things, but – I mean, that seems so much of like a, um, we're putting the cart in front of the horse almost. You know, I think it's some of the, the big problem I think we have is funding. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to figure out how you can balance the funding, whereas you have an embarrassment of riches in some areas. And then areas like our community where you know, don't know how to, we have such a unique school district that I don't really know how you fix it without changing in the formula. And I think the only way you could do it is if you figure per student per square mile. And the, the, the bigger the area, the more that student should be worth. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I think it's only right now is like property taxes, right? This is prim, the primary driver for like how many kids are in the school plus the property value is what, gives the school the funding that they have. Yeah, but I think they get, I mean, they get a per pupil funding from the state, which right now, um, the state budget, at least last I checked, hasn't been passed for the next fiscal year. So school districts in Alpena especially had to pass a perfectly balanced budget. So they can't budget for things like the uh, APS needs uh, three, four new buses, is what mm-hmm. Dr. Van Wagner was saying, superintendent. 
they could only budget for one because they had to make sure that this budget was balanced because they don't know if their if their funding is increasing from the state or decreasing from the state. So they're really just guessing. Yeah. Their the school district budget was due July first. The state budget's not due until October first. Which so backwards. If you don't have a state budget October first, then we go into a shutdown. Yeah. So it's that's something to watch to see how that funding's rectified. Yeah, and so the unique situation, from my understanding, with this is that our kids are so spread out so far, and our property value is so like so East Kettlewood. Mm-hmm. All these kids live in really just the property value that they're living per house is so much more than Alpena that they're getting, not only is there a greater saturation of children per square mile, but the property value is more. So they're just getting a greater influx of money. We have the exact opposite. So we have kids with less per square mile and the property value is even less. So we're forced to cover these larger areas with through busing and even more school schools being further out. That's part of the reason what's causing a lot of this cost. So, I think the only thing that I could think of that would be is some type of, you know, super genius mathematical formula where we take in our particular situation and then recognize, hey, the busing is not of a greater need in East Kemba when you're covering 50 miles as is in the Alpena district where they will. I mean, we literally have kids there on the bus for an hour. Yep. Yep. I mean, the first the first person gets on the bus, I think it's a little after 5 a.m. That's amazing. Yeah. It absolutely is amazing. So to figure out the cost of that, that's got to be an astronomical cost for that one kid that's coming back and forth every year. So, um, yeah, but I think you got to somehow figure out the funding issue. Um, I think something that you could do at the grassroots level, I think we all could do, is maybe try to do our our best to support teachers um, and really respect them. Simple things like really got me fired up. I didn't talk about it much. I didn't talk about it at all on the pod for the last day because Brad had this in front of me and I didn't want to talk about it. But the library millage absolutely infuriated me. So like, I was I'm glad that that passed first of all, and I voted yes. But the idea that our to, to our community, our library is worth more than our school system is just is absolute embarrassment to me. And I just. I know that right now that uh, Alpena High is completely redoing their library. I know they're getting rid of a lot of the old books. They're putting a Alpena Kona Area Credit Union. Uh, I don't know necessarily. I don't think branch is the right term, but to help mm. students with financial. That is the like, right term. It's a yep. student-run branch. Yep, that's awesome. I mean, they they uh, the principal there, Mr. Berryman, told me that they want to make it more of a college feel, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a really good thing because it should be a place where students can go and hang out and just you know. Either kick back with a book, learn about their financing, or you know, be able to go on the computer, things like that. Um, yeah, so let's do that first. So Brad's sister, um, Al Kona has had a it's called the Tiger Branch. Yep. It's through Alpena. Brad's sister did a lot and still does a lot through that for them for a long time. And then of course, I think you guys both know that Allison's gonna run the student run branch at the high school. She's super excited about that. So um, there's a lot of work to go on that. Obviously, there's a lot of logistics and trying to figure out how to make it happen. But, um, you know, like balancing your checkbook, fiscal, you know, just teaching ins and outs. All that stuff gets lost now on kids. Yep. That's so, a, the home ec, I don't think, I, last I checked, I'm not 100%, but I don't think there's like a home economic class or anything like that. I would love to bring back like a cooking class, like basic cooking that's going to help you. You know, through college, not necessarily just through college, but through life. I mean, just yeah. basic, basic things like that and balancing a checkbook. I mean, that's a 
that's a lost art. That's something I never learned in high school. Yeah, it's crazy. <clears throat> All right, well, we'll take a break. I don't think we were to fix the school systems, but at least we <laughs> kicked on some them. ideas. So I know, and but and that's kind of the problem with some of these things is there's so big problems, but you know they. If the, we're not, it's like parking too. If we're not addressing them and then just trying to deal with them, trying to figure out how to fix them, we, we let them go too long. And then we have all white where we're in an advocated school. It's one of the busiest schools in our entire district and something has to be done. You know, so ouch. So, um, yeah, we'll take a break and then we're going to talk about this weekend when we come back. So, all right. So we were just talking, I was just talking to Brad, our top five that we're going to have here after this segment, I'm really excited about. I haven't been this excited about the top five in a long time, so we'll announce it later. But Brad just said, it better be as good as you're hyping this up to me. And um, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute, though. So um, this weekend, uh, there's an event going on in town. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? So on uh, Saturday, this would be August 17th, uh, from you know, 4 to 9 p.m. essentially at Northern Lights Arena is a, a benefit dinner fundraising event for my dad, Randy. Uh, in November, he's diagnosed with a really rare form of cancer, uh, bile duct cancer. Um, so he's been battling that. A lot of trips back to back and forth to Ann Arbor for chemo, immunotherapy. Uh, he just had surgery last week uh, where they injected a brand new surgery. Um, they're glass beads that are radioactive that they actually inject around the liver. So it's a steady dose of radiation for 30 days. Um, essentially just trying to get the, the tumors to stop spreading, shrink them and take them out. So on Saturday, uh, you know, 10 bucks gets you a, a dinner that's been completely donated by John Benson and Marshall Milligan. Um, there's a silent auction. We have over, worked over 80 items for the auction over 30 cars, the Okina Biker Coalition's doing a big ride all over Northeast Michigan, and then they're coming to Northern Lights Arena at the end. Um, they're expecting you know, at least 50 bikes, so another big donation from them. Uh, live music, cash bars, so it's going to be a really fun event, and um, 100% of the proceeds go towards my dad for medical expenses. Uh, Family Enterprise did a really awesome t-shirt design for us that you can buy as I well. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, my dad and his cowboy boots, that's a big thing. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're really excited. Really excited. Um, if I had a car, can I come on and down? Like, yeah. So if I'm listening to this and I'm like, oh, I can bring my, uh, you have a classic car or uh, maybe a brand new car that's super cool, like a. Did you see the mid-engine Corvette driving around town today? <laughs> not yet, okay, no. so first it was at Meyer, and somebody called the dealership. They're like, "Hey, you got who? Who bought the mid-engine?" I'm like, "No." So it's got a manufacturer plate. They just drove through town. So then I sold the car, and I'm walking across the lot with this customer, and they're talking to me, right? And I don't know these people from Adam. I'm in pure salesman mode, and all of a sudden I hear whoa, 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 and then you know I was like, "What?" You know, I always anytime I hear that, I always look up. I'm like. Holy shit, it's a 2020. So I'm watching it go by, and I'm holding the door open for my customer. They're coming in, and I'm just like totally watching it head north, go down the road. And so, I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, you're going to go down the far office customer. And then I come in. I'm, at this point, I'm just totally checked out on my customer. I go to Bruce, but did you see that? And I'm like, there, did you? And then they're out, and they didn't see it. And I was just like, oh my God, it looks even better in person than it does. What color was it? Fire red. I think I saw it when I was going to lunch. Yeah, I'm sure you did. I thought it was a Lamborghini. Yes, <laughs> it looks like a Lamborghini. 
Anyways, so but um, if I want to bring a car, can I do it the day of, or do I have to register pre? Yeah, you can. Uh, you can bring it the day of. Uh, right now, we're at a little over thirty, which is probably going to kind of max us out uh, on the rink itself. But we have a lot of room, obviously, out in front of the lights. I know we have a bunch of trucks coming that are going to set up, uh, you know, right outside to kind of draw people in. So really looking forward to it. And yeah, if you have a car, bring it. Um, like I said, you get a really good dinner as part of the package. A bunch of other cars that'll be there from. Like our oldest car is 1940s. I think we have 1942 there, all the way up to you know we have 2020 Gladiators coming, things like that. So it's supposed to be a nice sunny day, so it yep. does not hurt to have the cars parked outside. Yep. And yep. Um, yeah. So um, tickets to the event. Yep. I have tickets at my desk. I have yet to have anyone even come in, but I have tickets. Where else can we find the tickets? Oh, we have my local basket case. We have at least mini golf. Well, we sold quite a few at least. Um, but again, I think it's a very Alpina thing. Where though pre-sale, we're not necessarily worried about that. We just kind of you know gauges on yeah. food. But you know, we have a lot of people that are going to be showing up at the door. Um, but yeah, like you said, if you want to buy your ticket ahead of time and walk right in, beat the line, you know, come yeah. go see you at Anschutz, see me at these. And then there's going to be music going on. Yep, we got a live band, um, things like that. Like I said, we have raffles throughout the night, uh, loads of silent auction items. So. We have a lot of stuff donated. The community support has just been just been outstanding. I have a uh, the forty fifth parallel canvas at Olympics. I have one of those for you. So awesome. yeah, I have that. Awesome. So I don't know. I mean, people like it. So it's what I was doing. So, um, but we have that. So um, anything else with the event that we want to talk about? Um, yeah, I mean, if you're a biker as well, I know the Alpena Biker Coalition is doing a big ride. Uh, you can get more information about that on their Facebook group. Uh, if you go into Chiefs as well, talk to Brian. He can hook you up. Um, they're doing a ride. They're doing 50-50s throughout. I think they're going all the way down to Glenny, up to you know Roger City, things like that. So big ride for them all afternoon, and then they come back in Northern Lights and hang out. What year did your family get involved with the Brown Char Preston? Uh, so I think my mom's been a part of it for a while through Zanta, and then she took over as president. I want to say four years ago, three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally it's only a two-year term, but no one else is – um, wanted that responsibility. It's a lot of work. Yeah. I know your parents, have, your dad is one of those people that maybe people didn't know, but he does a lot for the community behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And um, I know Brown, I know that your family has been really big Brown Trout supporters for the past four years, really just taking over that, keeping that alive. Really? Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure people were aware that we were pretty close to losing the Brown Trout. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, but you know, I really appreciate it that I mean, I'm not a big fisherman, but I appreciate the festival for what it is to our community. Um, so one, let's go over the details one again. It's Saturday, August 17th. Yep. Northern Lights Arena. Yes. Yep. Uh, five to nine, four to nine. We're going to be there all day. So come on down. Um, like I said, dinner donated by John Benson, Marsha Milligan. Um, you know, cars to walk around. And I keep hammering on the auction. There's some really, really cool stuff. Uh, sort of the big, the big auction item is a custom-built gear blind. So you bid on the construction, and you you know design it yourself and work it out, and they'll build it for you. So that'll be really really cool. You know, loads of different baskets, loads of art, things like that. Uh, stuff from all over the world. We have a, a basket from Japan coming. So a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, hope it clears customs. Yeah. You know, Trump will want to tear off the shit. Yeah. Your yep, exactly. So. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Man, I just want to hit all your buttons. I just, I just know exactly what to say. 
Yeah, like when the, we were talking about when we were talking about the water earlier, I just really wanted to go into climate change with you because I know <laughs> you could have just gotten you all lathered up and talked about it. But um, Ooh, bring the tides. Let's let's talk about you know. I've never had, how do you feel about climate change, Brad? I'd like to. Be, I mean, if you if you don't want to say anything, I respect it. Do you believe it's real? Yes, I do. Okay. I don't understand how you can't think it's real. Like I just like I understand that the ebb and flow of like that we if you keep look at the Earth on a globe like a, try to map it out that we have some really cold years and some really hot years, but I don't get it. Like I just don't understand. Like I mean, you gotta look at the graph of the CO two, the parts per million in the atmosphere, and if you look at that. It's not a coincidence that it begins right at the start of the Industrial Revolution yeah. and then skyrockets. Yeah. So. And, I mean, people have to know that, like, a great example of this is the EPA doesn't let you put a whole bunch of shit in the atmosphere. So, obviously, if we can't do that, there has to be something going on. Like, I mean, to think that they limit this because it affects – you can't do this because it's going to give people cancer in the air or it's going to – wreck the water supply. So obviously they know that this has adverse effects to it. That's why we could limit it. So and I, I think even the even if you are a climate change denier, I don't see the negative aspects of us having clean air and clean water. I don't see the negative side of limiting CO2 emissions. I don't so I can I will comment on that. So here is my problem with that. I honestly believe what has wrecked absolutely wrecked the united states economy is climate change and the only reason being is we have put in so many regulations and things for our businesses that the rest of the world does not get zero flying beliefs about and when china is making stuff for 35 cents pumping in more toxic waste they don't care about i mean there are people have to walk around with masks i mean let's be honest right so they their citizens they're so bad what they do over there, and they do it as cheap as they possibly can, that their citizens have to wear masks so they can breathe. And yet we have to somehow compete with them globally. It literally cripples us. At the same time, though, we have fresh water. We have, well, unless you're Flint, I'm going to let it hang there. So, um, but for the most part, we have relatively clean air, clean water, and it's just baffles me like how we can put ourselves at such a significant disadvantage against the rest of the world when we compete obviously economically and we are one of the largest importers of goods in the world it just pisses me off like you know and so that's what i don't like about it i, I wish there was a way that we could incentivize these american industries that are going to play by the rules and that are doing it right because the only thing it does then is it makes them want to cut more corners for more to for more cost savings so they could be competitive with the people that aren't playing ball. So that's my rant. I agree with that. I love, every time I see the Tesla in town, I smile. Just, you know, little things like that make me smile. Little thing, you know, we, you could do a, a whole pot talking to people about, you know, what can you do to help the environment? Yep. You know, being on the fresh water, being on Lake Huron, I mean, you can walk down the beach and see trash floating. Yeah. You know, so just you know, grab. There's coffee shops downstate that do a uh, Grand Haven. Um, if you bring them a bucket of trash from the beach, you know you'll get a free coffee. 
think that's really cool. It's amazing. It's sad that we have to do it. But. Yeah. So that's my thing that I that worries me is that you know as as the evidence becomes insurmountable that climate change is real and we add more and more regulations and realize how much important it is. The most important thing it is not us. We do not have to worry about the United States. We are so much further ahead on this stuff than the rest of the world is. The, the real problem is is getting these other countries aboard on this. And I don't know how you do it unless it comes down with just like Amer- you, you, you have to make it an, just an absolute priority to buy American. And to buy and, – and you can't be mad when something is like, you know, $80 more. You know, for something, you just got to suck it up and say, hey, it's the only way we will ever be able to or that or just let them tear the shit out of this crap. You know, it's hard because how do you how do you tell someone in Turkmenistan, like you can't go to work at your factory because we shut it down because we need clean air when they're just trying to feed their family for 75 cents an hour. Yep, that's a I don't want to say it's not necessarily a luxury that we can fight climate change the way we can in the U.S., but it's definitely a big part of the reason that we're fighting it so much is that we can afford to fight it. 100%. I couldn't agree more. Um, you, you, the joke is like first world problems, mm-hmm. right? You know, I always think it's funny that we're getting mad about plastic bottles for our drinkable water. Like, don't use this plastic bottle where there are literally millions upon millions of people just fighting for any water. Just any clean water. And here we are bitching about whether it's in the guy in a plastic bottle or not. We're bitching about too much water. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, okay. Um, so, we're going to take a break because I really think our top five is going to go long. I'm hoping. It will. So, so, I'm going to tease it it's now. It's going to be because of me. No. I think once you get into it, I think you're going to feel it. I think you'll like it. So, we are doing Preston's a foodie. Okay. So, like... Those of you who don't know, I think you probably guys know that from the last pod. Likes his food, has been very cultured in the food. Well, last time we were here, we talked, spent a lot of time talking about the Alpena food scene. But this time we're talking about food scene outside of Alpena. Preston's going to have some amazing. I've been to, I've been to four different countries yeah. since our last pod. Yeah. So, so Preston's going to have like next level <laughs> shit, which is okay because I like it. But for me, I think some of this stuff is just going to be like a jog down memory lane. Me and Brad. So, like, um, and then. We'll start next time. So just stay tuned. We'll be right back. <clears throat> so last time we had pressed down, we talked about like the hungry hippie, uh, the unlucky cat. Yeah. Um, five bad hens was around, but then Ben merged with Thunder Bay. So, um, and we talked about also some of the food trucks that uh, you were trying to get down to the brown trout, and you were able to do that successfully. Actually, yeah. best food selection I've ever seen in brown trout this year. Yeah, we were really, really happy. You know, all the vendors had an awesome time. So now we just got to, you know, we're going to keep bringing in more next year. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. I like that idea. I think there's two things that I think, one, so it's weird that fishing died in our community, which is part of the reason why that tournament kind of performed mm-hmm. poorly. But now fishing's back on its rise. So I think, you know, getting people to come down there for whatever, it's, you know, I think part of it, it's the Brown Trout Festival has the same problem as Thunder Bay Theater has. And the problem, we've always joked, not joked, but we've always talked. If you took a bulldozer and knocked over Thunder Bay Theater, built a brand new theater, named it something else, 
and just blah, blah, blah. It would probably be one of the most happening places yep. in Alpena. Oh, yeah. And if you got rid of the brownish trout, waited two years, and came back and labeled it something else, did the exact same thing you're doing right now, but called it something else, it would be one of the biggest festivals we've ever had. So yeah. its history is also, as much as it's helping it, it's hurting it as yeah. well. Yeah, people haven't been to the brown trout in five or six years. It's definitely come a long way. Yeah. That's why we've really concentrated on making it more family-friendly. Um, and I think the you know the family day it's a, one of our biggest events. You know, it's a learning center tent inside the small tent, things like that. And the food trucks are great. You know, obviously we want to bring some of them back next year, but we also want to be bringing in new things with community and keep expanding. And um, we really like it. we want to get to fifty. That's the big that's the big thing. We want to get to fifty years. I think you'll get there. <clears throat> yeah. So Preston has been a seasoned traveler. This is going to be a struggle for me and Brad because we are nowhere nearly. <laughs> This season travel, but what a little traveling I have done, I have some memorable experience, which I thought it'd be an interesting debate to talk about where we're headed with this. So I think probably at least for you, I'm assuming some of this stuff, really, the food was absolutely shit. Oh, it's always, I mean, it's always about, it's almost always about the company. You can yeah. enjoy a bad meal with great company. Right. So some of this stuff has been absolute crap, but the absolute moment and the memory with it that's attached to it makes it so special to me. And really that's not saying the food's whether good or bad, it doesn't really matter. But that memory that lingers on, it's what really makes it such a great experience for me. So I have four honorable mentions. So I'm going to do it. One smoked beef brisket at Cooper's barbecue in Fort, Fort Worth, Texas. So if you ever been to Fort Worth stockyards, I'm going to that, that little smokehouse there. Um, Obviously, for it is the place we went to that night for the dinner after I proposed to Allison. And they had a little um, dry erase board that you could randomly write shit. And if you go back far enough in my Instagram, I think it's one of my very first Instagram photos. I have a picture of me and Allison next to it in a pink cowboy hat. And it says she said yes on it. So that's number, that's number nine. <laughs> number eight. Um which you're going to love, but again, people don't judge me. So um, on our honeymoon, we went to the Yankee Stadium, and Allison had a chicken and cheese sandwich at Yankee Stadium from Shorty's. I have been trying to replicate that cheese. They do steak cheese sandwiches yeah. and chicken and cheese sandwiches. I've been trying to replicate that chicken and cheese steak freaking ever since we went five years ago, and I can't replicate it. I mean, it's just – I think it's because the grill is so seasoned and then old – and then it's just like, it is, I, we talk about that sandwich all the time. We we only like the Yankees, but we want to go back just for that sandwich. We would be willing to pay to go put up with the Yankees again just for that. Um, number, so that was eight. Number seven, Pastrami on Raya Cassis Deli in New York City. So that was seriously everything. Not very often do you have something that in your head is going to be what something you think it's going to be, and it actually delivers, and that was one of those. Because number, I have a, coming out of my list number one, later it was something that I had really worked up, and it really wasn't that good. But anyways, talk about it. And then number six, six. when you ran your first half marathon and in Chicago, we stayed at the Double Tree Inn, and at ten o'clock or nine thirty at night, some lady knocked on our door, and we didn't know who the hell it was. And what was it? Oh, this was down in Lansing. Oh, Lansing. What was it? It was free cookies. Yes. <laughs> so they gave us these warm, hot cookies. 
And that warm hot cookie and a cup of milk. It was delicious. Yes, exactly. It was the best freaking chocolate chip cookie I've ever had in my entire life. So, yeah, that's my number six. Honorable mention. Do you have any honorable mentions? No. <laughs> okay. Brent said you made honorable mentions. I have honorable mention. We were in, um, oh man, we were in, just went to uh, Bush Gardens on Tampa, Florida, I think. It was Chad Bruce, who was with me, you know, Romeo Bordage, his whole family, that whole crew. We had just been at Bush Gardens, and Chad's a big guy, and he sweats. He sweats a lot. So, he had to swap out shirts with Romeo. And Romeo gave him, if you know anything about Romeo, he fishes. Romeo gave one of his old fishing shirts, brought him 3XL on a high school. Right yeah, it's down. Yep, it's down to his knees. It has holes all in it. Went to Golden Crow. Like Chad, no one's going to be at Golden Crow. You go into Golden Crow, place is packed. <laughs> Chad is in this fishing shirt that's hanging down to his knees. Looks like he doesn't even have shorts on. And it was the most embarrassing moment of Chad's life. But it was also one of the most hilarious experiences of mine. So, and that's one of those things where the food is Golden Crow, but just the the memory that's with it is, yes. is awesome. And it's really, you know, with food for so many people, and to a fault, absolute fault. And I really want to work on this over the next ten years of my life, or however long, is that I've associated food with such positive memories, like. When I do something good, it's like, let's go out and celebrate, you know? And I, I've associated food with, like, a good feeling. So that's also when I'm having a bad day, I want to eat. Because, you know, so it's like, I, I need to get away from it. But yet, when you start talking about these stories, I mean, Golden Corral, possibly one of the worst places you can eat <laughs> of all time. And yet, here we are talking about what a great memory comes from it. And then as I go down this list, that's where it's going to be. You know, all these... Some of these are really great. Some of these aren't, but the memories that go with them are just, you know, they're irreplaceable. So, all right. Number five, butter bear. All right. I don't have very many memories from these. It's just good food. But I had a couple slices of pizza from Secret Pizza in Las Vegas a couple years ago for my brother's 40th birthday to Vegas for the weekend. And, one of their hot spots was Secret Pizza, so we went there. Pizza was good. What made it secret? It's, you really have to search for it because you just there's no signs or anything for it. You just go down this hallway, and all of a sudden you're in this small pizza parlor. And okay, so it's like one of those hidden food places. Yeah. That's cool. Was the pizza good? Yeah. Was it like New York yeah, style, a, deep dish? I was having a bad day, but. Oh. It was, it was a lot of walking. Yeah. It was good after thinking about it. It's more New York style. Okay. All right. Number five for me is the Yardbird. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So Adam Rickman, Man versus Food. Right. You know what I'm talking about? He did a top, he did a March Madness bracket style of the best sandwiches in America. And the final two came down to a sandwich in Pittsburgh, I think, a cheesesteak sandwich in Pittsburgh, I think, or maybe something. Anyways, and the other sandwich on the other side was Yardbird, which is out of Slows in Detroit. So it is a chicken. It was a smoked chicken breast and a cheese sauce that's got bacon on a brioche bun. And... It's in, it's right off uh, Michigan and Trumbull. It's down right by the old Tiger Stadium. Kind of in a sketch ditch area of Detroit, but of course it's growing. You know, as Detroit gets better, it's coming out. Um, I went there 
as soon as I saw that, I was like, I need to go there. I got to try this. We went there. It, the line was around the building, of course, because everybody was going in there. Um, and I was so excited to have this sandwich. They have, like a lot of smokehouses do, they had six different sauces on every table. So you could try each different sauce with the, as you went along. It was really, really good. But it wasn't the best sandwich I've ever had in my entire life. Which, of course, something like that, when it gets up there, you're automatically thinking like this you know, next level experience I didn't have. But still, it was good nonetheless. And I love it was in Detroit. You know, a lot of notoriety. That's why I liked it. So that's my number five. I tried to go to Slow's once. They ran out of ribs, so we left. They won in Grand Rapids. It's at the downtown market. Okay. Because when <laughs> just first opened. So you can have a yard bird now. Yeah. And yep. you can try it. And now you so when you go there, at least you know, hey, okay, now I know. Yep. All right, number five, Preston. Right, my number five. So between the last podcast and this podcast, a little trip, did a little week-long trip to Europe. Um, one of the places we went was Paris. So we flew into Paris. We had eight hours in Paris to spend before we flew out again. And if you fly into Paris on a budget airline. Uh... Sorry, I bumped it because my computer fell asleep. So you got a Paris air flight? Yep. So, okay. so if you get a budget airline, if you get a budget flight into Paris, the ticket's like $19 uh, from London. Oh, okay. Yep, worth it. Yep. And um, so we took, then it's an hour ride via Uber into Paris itself. And we get out of the Uber, and we're tired, we're a little cranky, we just want food. So we go to the first restaurant we see, it's just outside the Louvre. Um, we sit down, Tate tries to do his French thing, I was with Tate. You know, it's first thing he says in French, the waiter then switches out our menus. There's a French menu, and he's like, oh, I'm going to give you guys the English one. And we said, you know what, well, first we need wine. So we ordered a bottle of wine, it was like 9 a.m., bottle of wine. And then we decided, you know what, let's just get a charcuterie board. And if you go to France, if you go to Paris, get a charcuterie board. It's going to be the best thing you'll ever eat. Uh, I'm a cheese guy. I love cheese. The creamier, the better. I don't know what it was called, but there was this cheese. Once you cut it, it was hard on the outside. But it was just liquid creamy on the inside. And just that and, and sliced pieces of ham and wine. That was the introduction to Paris I needed. If you ever go to Paris, what you need is you need to get a nice little buzz in the morning and just spend your day walking around. That's... That's how you do Paris. Nice and slow, a lot of walking, a lot of wine and cheese. That's how we did New York City for our honeymoon. We were told to not take a train, not take a taxi, just go out the front door and walk. So the first day, I think we put 14 miles on and Alice couldn't even walk. We had to take a cab back to our hotel. But we got up and did the same thing again. And it was Rick Halvachin who told us to do that. And he was 100% right. That is the way to see New York City. Because like Brad said, you're walking around and you're like, Oh, what is this place? And all of a sudden, you're you're walking into like a beer garden, or you're walking into a restaurant, or maybe it's a handmade leather goods stop. You know, it's just crazy to all the stuff that you see here. Right? Yep, I agree, hundred percent. Speaking of leather goods, do you guys follow the Little King Maker on YouTube? No. So if you had a chance, this is the only time I'm going to say it because I am obsessed with him. So. Uh, I think it's called Little King Goods. He is a handcraft leather man guy, and it is amazing. So, there. Do you like ASMR? What? Preston? ASMR? I'm not familiar. That's the sound stuff. Like, you know, like people that do like this or oh, like, or right, like right, yeah. So, he is also, so he builds stuff by hand, and he also 
he's kind of found this niche where this ASMR stuff, like, like when he's burnishing the leather and just like he's got all this high quality sound. It's like super cool. So anyways, number four, Brad. All right. Number four is another Vegas item. It is banana pudding at the Venetian. Me, my sister, and brother-in-law here in Vegas for my 30th birthday with my brother and sister-in-law who went to hang out outside the Flamingo while we went to see uh, Phantom of the Opera. And before that, we went to dinner because we bought this package where you get dinner on the show. I don't remember the first part of dinner, but it was in a high-scale restaurant. But the banana, the banana pudding... It was a bread pudding, too, but it had bananas in it. They brought it off for dessert, and it was just so delicious. That's what I'm talking about. And the fan of the opera was good, too. See, you just <laughs> told me you didn't have a story. You gave me a story. You delivered. Two things with two stories. Well, the first one wasn't a story. Well, it was a secret. Well, people know about it. It's just fair enough. got to look for it. My number four is um, fish tacos at Chewy's. So that's in Dallas, Texas. I have been trying everywhere I go, like fish tacos, and it never, ever, ever even um, comes close to that. And I, I, Allison's mom stopped working in Dallas. She now is over in Houston right now. But I keep wanting to go back to Dallas. I keep asking Allison, can we go back to Dallas? Because my number one is also in Dallas. And I just want both of those things. I mean, it's been three years. It's a long time. So. Save your money. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Um, the fish tacos, they were really good. It wasn't like some cheap, shitty fish. I think it was actually a cod. Mm-hmm. And they put some, you know, a little bit of seasoning on there. But what they did is they, just like they do here in Alpina, they, um, they grilled their jalapeno slices like they do at mangoes and then they gave you all these limes and lemons and then it was not served at least at this time it wasn't served i've had it two times first time it was they gave me the torts and then the kind of the fish was on a platter and i made the taco second time the, the taco was already made so um but yeah i love fish tacos number four uh going back uh we also visited rome on a trip so one of our things in rome is that uh, I like to eat where the locals eat. I think that's the rule number one when traveling. If you see a lot of people that look like you when you're abroad eating somewhere, don't go there. Go to where the locals are lined up around the block. Um, so we went to a market in Rome that's a little bit outside the center of the city, and there's like 60-some different food stalls in there. There's Michelin-starred you know, food boxes in there, the, the food vendors, and we had something called soupli uh, from one of them. So soupli is a, an Italian treat. It's a bowl of mozzarella uh, wrapped in rice with pizza sauce and deep fried. And it was just the most delicious little ball of goodness I've ever had. <laughs> I had that and I had Michelin starred soup for the first time ever. It tasted just like every other soup, but it was a little bit more special. Uh, we had homemade donuts. We were just walking around just eating absolutely everything we could find, not understanding anyone else that was around us because they were all just Italians. And uh, Tate had a story. He met an Italian guy a couple weeks ago, uh, I believe he was golfing or something like that, and he was telling him that he just went to Rome, and he went to one of the markets to eat, and he's like, oh, don't go to that place, it's a tourist trap. He said, well, we went to this market that was a little bit outside the city, and the Italian looked at him, and he's like, that's the way to do it. 
that's the one to go to. That's where all the locals eat. So that's that was really cool. Now there's absolutely delicious food. And it was a good rainy day in Rome. We just got done walking around, uh, you know, everywhere. Just like a little bit of rain, not a lot of tourists around. It was, it was, it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. I don't mind the rain. Now, Emily, the downside of that is when it's cold, it's no fun. That's what happened with the Mindocs in Mackinac. But they went to Mackinac Island with us, and it was cold, and yeah, it was miserable. There's no one in there. Yep. And it's never like that at Mackinac. Like, we literally did not – I mean, we went into Starbucks, and we were like, yeah, they're like, what do you want? Okay, here's your drink. There was no line. It's never like that. So I love a good, I love a good rainy day, especially when I'm traveling. Yeah. I like a rainy day regardless. I like a rainy day more than a sunny day. I just like when it's pouring buckets. Like, <laughs> you can't even get it outside, and you just, like, soak. You know, I hate it so much. So. I it out. Number three, Brad. Number three is the ramen I had in Traverse City. See, that's my number three too. Yeah. So it's Georgia. Done having one of the worst experiences. Come on. So it's that Georgians in Traverse City. Yes. Okay. Have you ever been there? I avoid Traverse City. I don't like Traverse City. Yeah, I don't either. But when we went there, we went there for pal for pints. Actually, this was my number two, but I'll still share it with you. I got a bimmy bat bowl. You know, Bimmy Bap is. No, so it's like it's served in a ceramic dole set. And that's how they kind of do it over in, the, you know, in Asia. And they get it really, really hot. And then they line the bowl with rice. Mm-hmm. And it's so hot that it makes the rice all crispy. And then you put all these different little ingredients in it together. And then you kind of mix it all together. They usually serve a really runny, yolky egg on top of it. And you mix yes. it all together. Yes. And you eat it. And they have like kimchi and jalapenos and a little bit of uh, braised pork belly was on there. It was just like, oh, man. I want to go to Traverse City just for that. That's but, cool. yeah. I'm in. It's, we definitely should do it. There's, but, yeah. So, yeah, and you had, for yeah. And yeah. you had the ramen. Yes. I had beef. And it was just tender. It was delicious. Yes. And we were cold. Yes. And it was a nice warm meal. Oh. We just did paddle for the pines again and it rained. It rained and it was cold. Yeah. So we were miserable. Very miserable. But we were together. Yeah. See, so again, now we've you've done three and you got three great solid stories for each one of these. All right. Pressing number three. Uh, so we go to, my family and I go to Mexico every year. Uh, they've been going for the last 30 years. I've gone each of the last like, 13, 14 years. Uh, we go to a town on the West Coast of Mexico, not super touristy, called Mazatlan, and they have their central market. Uh, so again, that's where all the locals eat. We took Tate Ski and my buddy Ryan a couple years ago, their first time ever you know, out of the country. And um, we're walking around the market and, you know, it's just stalls and stalls and stalls and open air meat and things like that. And, um, Tate all of a sudden wandered off and he comes running back around the corner. He's like, we got to eat here. I was like, all right, sign me up. I don't know what it is, but we're going to yeah. eat there. And we sit down and Tate had already been talking to the owner, this awesome woman. And it's just homemade tostadas. And they just, they plate after plate, they'd load them up for us and we'd eat. And again, it was just, you know, two Americans in the swarm of, you know, Mexican locals just eating tostados. Again, it was another situation where we didn't really understand what the owner was saying. We didn't really understand what we were saying. We just said, you know, food, (laughs) something good. And everything she handed us was absolutely delicious. And, and, you know, just things like that, just the, where you stumble upon. Have you gone back? Things like that. Yep. Yep. Every year we go back. So she, she remembers us, loved wandering around the market. You know, that's That's the first, first time you go, you know, anywhere abroad, really, especially in areas not super touristy. I love just I love going to the market, 
love seeing what the locals make. I like seeing what they, you know, eat and drink and cook up for us. I really, Brad, we talked about this on the pod, but all of a sudden recently, I've really just, I really want to go back to Korea. I really just want to check it out and just hang out there for like a week or two and just take it all in and just, um, I, I went from somewhere like I had no interest to like, oh, maybe that's something I do to the, like, now I'm playing it. Like, I just need to figure out when I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, I totally decided I'm going to document the whole thing because I really want to see if I can go to the orphanage. I don't know how far I'll get through the whole experience, but it'd just be kind of a cool thing. So. I really want to go to Vietnam. Like, Vietnam's been at the top of my list. Vietnam and Laos have been at the top of my list for a long, long time. We have some friends that are going there within the year. Awesome. And I'm super jealous. It's within the next couple of months. Yeah. Number two. Uh, it's the deep dish piece we had in Chicago. That's it. That's my number two. <laughs> that is actually a crazy story because we're just sitting there eating. Well, we hadn't eaten yet. We had gotten breadsticks, I think, before. All of a sudden, the power goes out. So let's backtrack a little bit more, right? It has been raining all so, night. So you and I drove to Chicago. Yes. For a half marathon, rock and roll half marathon in Chicago. Yes. Allison was meeting us, but she flew down because she likes to fly, and I hate flying. So Brad and I drove, and we picked her up at the airport, and by then, it's like 9 o'clock at night. There's not a lot, but we've always wanted Chicago deep dish pizza. So, I forgot where we were. Giordano's. Anyway, yeah. So we stopped there, and they set us down, and we're like, all right, what do we want? All this, and we get a Goose Island IPAs because they're based out of oh, Chicago. Yes. Got to stay local. Right. So they bring us our breadsticks or whatever, and we're eating, and it's raining outside, and all of a sudden the power goes out. But we hadn't gotten our pizza yet. And so they finally somehow got the pizza to us, like, cooking it. And they're very apologetic at this point. Yeah, it's like, we're so sorry, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And all of a sudden, so we finish. And they got me to eat mushrooms because I freaking hate mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. So Brad can't see. We're eating in the dark, essentially. Yes. And I mean, there's other people there, too. Yeah. Right? I mean, the, the restaurant's full because, you know, obviously it's right by the airport. And yeah. it's a Chicago deep dish joint. So you're getting in all the people that are got long layovers running in there. The power goes out. And what I think what happened was is these giant pizza ovens had residual heat in there. And our pizza was in there. So they just kind of sealed it up and let it finish cooking. So they bring it out. And we got a Supreme. And at that point, we knew we only needed one pizza for all of us. But um, Brad's like, I'll just pick out what I don't want, which is okay. <laughs> I couldn't see it. So, so he couldn't see he eat everything. Allison, the same way. Allison's a super picky eater. Ate the whole thing. And what was the best part? Give it, it to us. All three. They yeah, comped us the meal. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They comped us the meal because the power went out. So it was nice. <laughs> yeah. See, that's a great story, too. <laughs> you are four for four. Well, the last one is a Okay, well, fair enough. So, Maybe not. All right, number two, Preston. Number two, going back to Rome. So we just left Rome. It's late at night. Uh, we just got down with the Coliseum, took an Uber. Uh, at our Airbnb, he'd given us a list of really good restaurants close by. And we're only, you know, 10 minutes outside central Rome. Uh, so we said, all right, we're going to go to this restaurant. And we go to this restaurant. The reviews are flawless, you know, great home-cooked pasta, things like that. We walk in, it's packed, and we need a reservation. 
So now it's like, oh, well, now what? So now we're walking on the road. There's no sidewalks. Cars are whizzing by us. We get back to our Airbnb. Tate's Googling, like, places to eat. And he said, oh, there's a place, you know, just behind where we're staying. So we walk there. Ends up the path Google is going to take us out of someone's garden. So that's fenced off. So now we have to walk all the way around. It ends up being a mile and a half hike up and down the massive hills in Rome. And we get there. And again, it's pretty late. I think there's like a wedding party that's there. Only people in the restaurant. We sit down and uh, they find out we're Americans. So they start bringing us everything. We had awesome wine. Uh, they brought us some appetizers out of just, you know, bread and cheese and things like that. And I get this. I ordered this big hunk of peppercorn steak. And I got it, and it was the most tender piece of meat I've ever had in my life. And Tate ended up getting, he ordered an entire lamb. And an entire lamb, you know, probably half the size of the stale came out. And I watched Tate Skiba eat an entire lamb and a bottle of wine. And then they brought us dessert out. And then it was just the waiters just kind of talking to us about, oh, you know, my daughter just went to America, things like that. Or, oh, I went to America back in the day. It's, it's cool things like that where you just bond, you know, people that we never met before, but they sat down at our table and they were just chatting with us and things like that. And good company, good food, good wine. You can't beat it. It's awesome. Where do you have planned to go next? I really, I have, I really, really want to do Vietnam, but it's one of those things where you, you know, can't do Vietnam on the weekend. You know, it's got to be a week. So, trying to plan something. I wanted to go for New Year's, but they don't have. Uh, I was trying to book New Year's with my airline miles, but there's obviously a lot of dates blacked out. So, hopefully next summer, um, Vietnam's the top of my list. Like I said, Laos, um, Egypt is way up there as well. Those are sort of the top three, but Vietnam's far and away number one. I love. Uh, I love just like a spicy bowl of noodles sitting on the side of the road, motorcycle, scooter. I am really tempted. I mean, Vietnam would be great and Hong Kong and Bangkok and all these great places. But really, if I go to Korea, I keep thinking about just taking the short jaunt over to Tokyo, catching that and then coming back. And I think I could probably do that in a week and still feel fulfilled. But my biggest worry is that if I do try to chase down some type of relative of mine, maybe that takes more than another day. Maybe it takes three or four days. And I would want to allow myself the opportunity for that <clears throat> if it does come to fruition. If it just ends, I'd be like, all right, let's check it out in, in Tokyo. But um, you never know how – the world's weird these days, so you never know. Chernobyl has been on my list, too. That's been a, that's been a steady number three for me for, for a long, long time. So three, Chernobyl, two, Vietnam – uh, three Chernobyl, two Egypt, one oh, Vietnam. All right. Yep. yep. Okay. For you. All right. My number one is Pomfrits. They are a double fried French fry in Germany. We used to get them all the time. There's a food cart, food truck, whatever. Was it on the base? No. We lived <coughs> off the base in Fields, like in, it's called Little Manhattan. So it's just apartment buildings all over the place full of Americans. Look at you, a little international flavor in this. I'm really proud of you right now. It's the only thing I remember from you. <laughs> 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 I mean, if I go to Germany, I mean, really what we've talked about is what Allison and I want to do is we want to fly into Italy, train up from Italy up to London. Yep. And then. Yeah, that's a long trip. We did, um, we did train from Paris 
know, we did train from Rome to Venice. I think it was like three and a half hours. Um, I think train to London to Paris is pretty quick, but Paris to Rome, I mean, you'd see a lot. I mean, you'd see a whole lot. You'd go over the Alps and things like that. That'd be awesome. Well, and, you know, if you time it right, we would sleep through part of it, mm-hmm. you know, a large part of it. So, I mean, you know, we figured we'd spend like a day or two, you know, Venice and then Rome and then um, South France, spend a day definitely there. And then after that, I don't care. You know, big country just looking out a window, I'd be fine with. Then Paris, Alice has been to Paris, I think, twice. And I wouldn't mind going to Berlin just because she's, again, spent a lot of time in Germany. She has a lot of memories, and I would want her to share those with me. But then hit London, and we, we even went from London to now kind of want Ireland. I don't know how you do that. It's like it's a two-week adventure that costs yeah. a zillion of dollars. I think so, if you, I think <clears throat> you, uh, from what I've experienced, if you make your base sort of London mm-hmm. and then fly out of there anywhere, like I said, London, Paris, nineteen bucks. Yeah. Uh, Venice, be. Venice to London was thirty-two bucks. Wow. Yeah. So and it can't be expensive to go to Ireland from London either. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yep. let's keep in mind that is a really good spot. So my number one. You're thinking out of Brexit. Yeah. My number one is a Aha Tuna sandwich at the Chop House in Dallas, Texas, with a vanilla bean shake and Parmesan truffle fries. It is a small, again, like you said, you don't really know it's there. Only the locals really know it's there, and everything's like grass-fed. It's just like a lot of just, you know, local food and everything, and that's I got that fish sandwich and I got it rare as I could be and it's got some wasabi mayo weird sauce thing on it some mega greens and it's also where it was the first where we announced on Facebook we got engaged. Allison's got a picture in, there, in the corral where we're eating with her hand on the ring. So it's just a really cool place. We go there every time. We make it a point to go there more than anywhere else in Dallas. So I freaking love it. I could go for one right now. And I guarantee if Allison does listen, that's what she won't. But if she did, if I didn't make this number one, she'd be like, are you kidding me? Like, how's that number one? But it is, so. It's your list. Not yeah. Your but it's so good. It's fish, so it's not good. Well, the burgers are amazing. They're grass-fed, and they're just like, I mean, they're just. I'm sure the burgers are good. The yeah. fish isn't. So. Yeah, I don't do fish. <laughs> number one, Preston, you've set the bar extremely high for yourself. All right, number one is uh, – called Tafadali Gardens. It's sort of an outdoor market that they do every night on Zanzibar. Uh, so going back to East Africa. And um, yeah, because yeah. well, I went there for the first time in 2014 uh, with a big group of people. We were working at the school there, you know, English, math, computer science. And um, they took us to Tafadali uh, one night. And it's just vendor after vendor of seafood that they're literally pulling out of the water in front of you. You know, there's, you know, tiger prawns, you know, jumbo shrimp, things like that. I went right for the uh, spinning tower of meat that I saw from a distance, and it ended up being shawarma. Wow. So I had my first experience with shawarma. It's very, very uh, Persian, Indian-influenced on Zanzibar because uh, it was a stronghold for them for a long, long time in the slave trade. And um, the shawarma was just amazing and tender, and then I had uh, sugar cane juice. So they take the sugar cane. They put it through the press right in front of you. They wheel it through, and you just take your glass, and it's right there. And, you know, the sun's setting over the water, and there's a, a huge castle from, like, I think the 15th century right in front of you. And it's just locals, and it smells good. And 
you know, I said this the last time we were on the pod, the people that I met on Zanzibar and in East Africa in general were the nicest, you know, hardest work, most beautiful people I've ever met. And just the, the, the joy that they had in sharing their food and their culture and their recipes with me is something that I'll, you know, hold forever. And that's, that's really when I realized that food was sort of the biggest uh, sort of cultural welcoming sign that you can imagine. It's such a bridge. It can be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, yeah, it's tremendous. And I went back again in 2016 and, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I told the people that, you know, I was going to go to the gardens and get some food and they said, well, the government raided it a couple of days ago because there was a cholera outbreak. So they went in and they just cleared out everyone. Um, so I was unable to go in 2016. So hopefully I can get back next summer and, and get my shawarma and sugar cane juice again. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Well, that was impressive. Food's good. Food is good. We like food. Yes. So um, we will come back and we'll run out the episode. Well, Preston, thank you for coming on. Most important thing, if you take one way, thing away from this pod, it's not that climate change is real. It's that <laughs> this Saturday, <laughs> August 17th, from 4 to 9, Northern Lights Arena. Yeah, there's yeah, be there, benefit. How much does tickets get? Uh, $10, or we have family tickets for 25 from two adults, two kids under 12. So Lots of cool items there. Um, so, yeah, come on down, support a great cause, and a guy that's really supported Alpino. So, and then um, next week, we're hoping to have the girls on. I don't know. Kind of gone radio silence. If that is the case, we'll have Zane Kipsmiller. Sounds good. So, but we hope to have the girls on within the next two weeks. I have August planned out somewhat. So that's the thing. And then after that, we uh, got in touch with Amy Martin, who's on before. She'll be coming back. I think she's having her race soon. I think we'll bring her on the 23rd because the race is the 27th. Of August? No. September. Oh, September. Okay, all right. I was yeah, like, well, Tate's that's... back now. Tate's here for the whole year. We have to have Tate yeah. on. Oh, yes. I guess, yeah, you're right. That is a person that definitely needs to be on here. I almost should have Tyler and Alex, your yeah. trivia team, could be on here. Yeah. And I could just haze you guys because you guys always finish last. I mean, always like... finish second. Second or third. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you for coming on, Preston, as always. Awesome. Good luck on this uh, on the year running out. Looking forward to it. I'm excited, and um, you know, I'll, I'll come back to the kitchen anytime. Yeah, maybe we'll have you come back in uh, in uh, when you come home for break. Yeah, yep. I'll be here a lot doing Wild Cat football on the radio. So. Oh. Oh, yeah. I like it. So awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much. Right. See you.